0: Today's topic is e-commerce delivery providers with my friend Nate Skyver. How's it going, Nate? I'm doing well, Joe. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to have you on. This is a a topic and, you know, we could call this small parcel, small package. There's so much blurring of the lines lately and I'm glad Nate put together a whole bunch of great content and maybe we can share some of that uh, online when we uh, finally publish this. But anyway, Nate, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Absolutely. So, I'm Nate Skyver, and my company is at Level Playing Field Spend Management, or LPF. Level Playing Field's a bit of a mouthful. So, I'm calling in from uh, Columbus, Ohio today.
0: Very nice. Very nice. So, what do you do at Level Playing Field Spend Management? In short,
1: I I work with with package shippers to help them negotiate better contracts with their carriers and select the right carriers and services that line up with
0: their e-commerce shipping strategy. Yep. And I think if we went back 10 years, we'd say, well, there's lots of choices. You can use UPS or FedEx or <laughs> the Postal Service, right? And and now I've had people talk about e-commerce delivery and say, do you consider Amazon? And you're like, well, I guess I would. Do you consider DHL, which is doing some things? And it, it, And all of a sudden, all these people who are shipping same day, next day, I don't necessarily think of them as competing with FedEx and UPS. They don't have the same infrastructure, the same setup. They're very different businesses. And you'll explain all that in a minute. <laughs> and But I do think it's it's the lines have blurred so much that I, when we were coming up with a title, you called it e-commerce. Delivery provider. I was like, that's probably best because you don't want to call it small parcel because that excludes all the guys who are doing same day next day. Although – FedEx and UPS can do same day, next day too. <laughs> but we'll get to those buckets in a minute. But first things first. Nate, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started Level Playing Field Spend Management.
1: Sure. So I I grew up in in Southern Ohio, so a small town, about five thousand people, and but I've been in Columbus for over twenty years. I guess technically it's been about twenty five. Uh, went to Ohio State and you know, got a, a degree in logistics. So that was ended up being... Oh, I
0: didn't know they had a logistics program down there.
1: Yes. Yeah. And uh, logistics and, and marketing is, was the, the, the major. But All right. um, that was a little bit ago. And and so I, I got my degree from Ohio State and started my career actually. So in Columbus, that's been my entire career to date. So I uh, started with uh, L Brands so uh, limited brands.
0: Yeah, that's a big, that's a fortune 500 company, right?
1: Yes. So, uh, you know, the, the two well-known brands that are still with the company, uh, Victoria's Secret and uh, Bath & Body Work. So I actually started as an operations supervisor in uh, one of the distribution centers. And uh, and so that that's where I got my start. And a lot of, uh, I guess, you know, Ohio State grads, and, and if you've been in Columbus very long, at some point you work for a retailer, uh, even if you're in supply chain.
0: Oh, yeah, awkward. is it Les- Le- Leslie Wexner, the founder, yes. is, I think, the biggest Ohio State contributor, right? Incredibly. Uh... A uh, large,
1: yes, uh, donor and uh, a lot of facilities, different buildings on, on campus and in around Columbus, actually.
0: It's it's funny, Nate, Nate and I were talking a little bit about football just before because they just had the football draft and I'm a big Michigan fan. I went there. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, not this year. This was a rare good year for us. But it's funny when you start talking about the school. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a college and a university." I forgot all about that. <laughs> like, exactly. I just thought just thought you played football or basketball and all that. But there
1: is a, a relatively large uh, large school, and they've got a pretty good business school too. So
0: I think it's one of the largest universities in the country. I think Michigan State which is uh, uh, 45 minutes from where I'm at, and and Ohio State, probably four or five hours down there. University of Michigan, where I I went, is one of the largest, the largest employer in Michigan. I I think it's a little smaller than Michigan State in terms of students, but it just tells you the size of these universities. I bet Ohio State's probably probably one of the largest employers down there.
1: I believe so. I mean, the the, the campus and the campus area, I mean, it's like a a small city itself. It's a city, yeah. So it, it is, so.
0: I'll tell you, it's not easy for my Michigan Wolverines. Our, our rivals are Ohio State's, but, you know, kind of the primary one. When you have a rival that's probably top two or three or four uh, over the last 20 years, and then every time we lose to them, everyone's like, well, they got to fire the coach. And you gotta go, who are we going to get? <laughs> you can't fire somebody every season, right? Yeah, I was like, yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, we, we kind of had a really nice run when John Cooper was down there. And I was like, "Yeah." And I remember my dad used to say, "There is going to be some awful payback," and uh, I am glad he died before uh, <laughs> the, the payback. We had a rough time with uh, the Buckeyes, but yeah, it's. I'll tell you, you get better when you have rivals like that. Michigan State's another big rival of Michigan, and they beat us this year. Super, super programs, and uh, it's 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 tough in the Midwest. <laughs> it is absolutely some good football, though. So, anyway, when and why did you start? LPF spend management so it,
1: uh, it hasn't been too long ago a little bit over two and a half years ago I and I'll give you some some background here too it helps I think but but I I had wanted to move into consulting I'll, I'll tell you why for a really long time and just so happens that I had an opportunity to do it it lined up about two and a half years ago it was uh, I had been considering it a little bit more than, than just a passive thought and uh, texted someone to get his advice and his reply was, well, if you really want to, to consider consulting, I have your transition client lined up, which was his, his company. And so uh, he said, but we've got to get some things figured out because you'll have to, to make that decision here soon. And uh, that was in July, 19. And then I had made Good the time decision. time to start a business. Nate. Well, I had made the decision in, in, uh, in August. And then made the jump in, in September, and so I uh, left a 17 year retail career with you know mostly with all you know, really successful you know uh, companies, and just decided it was it was the right time to do it. Reason that I I became so interested in in we'll, we'll say parcel, uh, so so parcel transportation really goes back 10 years before that, and I was uh, so I was working with a large retailer a large retailer rather, and I had the opportunity to work on a project that was you know, essentially a parcel sourcing, parcel RFP project, and I worked alongside a third-party consultant. And I got to, you know, had a front row seat to, to not just the project, but learning yeah, everything the I possibly could. <laughs> oh yeah, the process. I had already gotten a little bit of a head start on understanding contracts and rates, things like that. At that point, it was the first thought, like, this is something I want to do. But it wasn't something that, you know, in 2009, I was ready to go you know, jump ship and, and go uh, consult. Yeah, you got own. used to living indoors and eating every day. That was the problem, right? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so partially because of that, you know, I progressed through the next 10 years, successful career, I think. It was uh, largely focused on, on parcel transportation and or e-commerce in some way. And so those, those two areas over the course of time have kind of converged as well. And it just all kind of came together um you know, a little over two and a half years ago to where the, the timing was right. I felt that I had the experience to do it. And then I also there was a desire to to be able to help and provide solutions to more than one company. And that that's one of the the driving factors to do it. And and uh that's why I decided to to start consulting
0: and I'm glad I did. Yeah, Nate, you uh, you you have uh, the perfect background for it, and you know. If, if, anytime you hear anybody talk about starting a business, it's and, and it's really never ending. Is how can I better understand my customers' problems? How can I speak to them in a way that resonates? You know, if you can't talk about them about their problems in a way that resonates, then you shouldn't be in business, right? And you had sat in those seats, so when somebody starts telling you. Boy, oh boy, I, we're trying to get up to speed on e commerce delivery and you go, Yep, I know what you're going through. <laughs> it's that exactly. Right there, <laughs> Yes. And that's I mean, and that's
1: one of the things, you know, actually that, that I, I feel, you know, helps differentiate the, the experience that I have and the service that, that I provide to to clients is I was in their in their sheet, in their excuse me, in their seat, in their shoes, whatever you want to say, for a very long time. And and it's not just the Parcel details, part of it, but it's understanding the competing priorities within a supply chain organization or you know within a retailer, trying to take parcel details and minutia and and things like that that most people either don't care about or maybe they don't completely understand
0: and translate well, that an into ops, something. You're an ops guy, in addition, yeah. so you you exactly you you, you were responsible not only. For for operations, but also for logistics and that spend management, so. So, anyway, you mentioned 10 years ago when you felt you were ready, a lot has changed. And, you know, let's go back to pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, e-commerce was growing. We, we all we all probably were buying things online many years ago. But e-commerce was fulfilled by UPS, FedEx, and USPS, right? and i think if it was coming from outside the country it might be dhl i don't know
1: yes yeah they the dhl uh, based in germany but very prominent uh, global carrier focused on their national mm-hmm.
0: yep so that was that was the the universe of e-commerce providers fast forward we went through covid our e-commerce spending here in the united states exploded we couldn't buy cars we couldn't go on vacation we couldn't go out to our favorite restaurants, so we all sat around and ordered stuff online, and from what I can tell, drank. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> People are drinking wine and ordering stuff off the internet. And so we had this explosion of e-commerce growth, and of course the e-commerce providers had to be right there behind doing the fulfillment. And I always say this when we talk about this topic, if you're an e-commerce company, or a retailer who's kind of now moving into that, you might not even consider yourself an e-commerce company, you're really good at the online stuff. And for retailers, really good at the store stuff. But and, and so you can drive traffic and build wonderful websites and do all that. I think where it gets a little ugly is when it has to actually move from your facility to a home. And I also say this, when you're delivering it to a home, it's harder than delivering a truckload to General Motors or Procter and Gamble or Limited Company, where you have professional receivers, and so you're delivering to a home that might have a dog that's on the loose, or a beehive on the porch, or the address missing. All sorts of problems. You might have to knock on the door. There's a ton of problems that are out there. So the so it got harder, <laughs> a lot harder. The, yeah. It- it it really did. And,
1: you know, over the course of several years, I guess, leading up to to COVID, which, as you mentioned, that's where e-commerce and then talk a little bit about the package volume that that accompanied that really just exploded. But leading up to that, you know, there was solid growth. I mean, there was uh, double digits annually, and it was, I would say, relatively steady. And so over time, there were other carriers involved in in e-commerce delivery. So let me, I'll just real quick, kind of define at least what I consider like e-commerce delivery. And we'll talk about the carriers, right, is it's really, in my, in my mind, it is a package. So could be very small package or, or or larger one that is delivered usually, not all the time, to a consumer's home and it was ordered online. And so it seems pretty simple. And UPS and FedEx very, very long time ago began delivering those those packages but as as that has grown of the volume and, and the complexity has grown and so there's you can you know order online and pick up in store so that's that's not something that's shipped but stores also ship packages and then you have companies with distribution centers across the country and so it is very complex and i think in part to meet those needs and opportunities there've been more carriers that have emerged or carriers that existed that have now pivoted toward e-commerce delivery, or they've made e-commerce delivery a part of their service offering. And it's because there's demand in the market. And despite what UPS and and FedEx sometimes say, not always, they can't be everything to everyone from an e-commerce shipper standpoint. They used to, to try to... All of the time do that. And they right. realize well, we wanted that, them to. We wanted well, them. Yes. But they also realized they we're the only game in town. We needed them to step up <laughs> quite a while ago that the, you started to mention that some of the, the challenges, the delivery to a, a consumer's home is much different than a residential delivery or excuse me, a commercial delivery or to a warehouse. Right. And so the costs also are very different. And, and FedEx and UPS um, realized that a while ago and they do two things with that. They charge appropriately or maybe not appropriately they charge to more like than they're cover the, the only cost, game in town <laughs> right but they also uh, have been a bit selective with the volume and that's created opportunity also in the market
0: for others yep now i've been gordon on my podcast not so maybe a year ago but one of the things he was saying is i think they looked at some types of business and said that's not for us that we don't want that kind of business but he said It's hard to find too many companies on the stock market that did better than UPS and FedEx over the last decade. They've had explosive growth as the e-commerce growth happened. Their growth was right behind it. One other thing you mentioned is, you know, usually when we think of final mile or last mile or we think of or e-commerce, we think of home delivery. But more and more companies are doing e-commerce B two B. So and and it's 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 an interesting new wrinkle to this. And I think they're saying. Hey, could we have a website and get rid of some of our maybe sales team that traditionally went and did this? Spend a little more on marketing, a little more on online, and deliver it via e commerce. So it's it's world's changing very rapidly. And you mentioned the the new needs that, that that are discovered. I think one of the other things, somebody said this in my podcast not so long ago. Not only did e commerce grow in the last during COVID but the type of products we are ordering changed. So we saw a huge increase in groceries. Well, clearly FedEx and UPS isn't going to come get my groceries and deliver them to me, <laughs> right? You might get something delivered from them, but it's just not the business they're in. Yeah. You know, it's
1: interesting because there have been, you know, I guess different needs that have evolved. And it's, it's a good point uh, as to what is being ordered online and how much of it. And so that, you know, kind of manifests itself in the market as far as package volume goes and the types of package volume, where it's coming from, where it's going to. And and yes, I would agree, you know, your comment about, you know, FedEx and UPS identified volume segments, say really large kind of oversized packages, or really small lightweight in some cases, that the the costs, I mean, they certainly aren't shy about charging enough to cover the costs. But they're pushing can, you away. Can, at there's the a certain same time. level, yeah, there's a certain level of inefficiency, right? And and so that does create opportunity and a need for other carriers. And and so we can go through some of those types of carriers if
0: it's helpful or just kind of continue to Nate, when we talked about this the other day, you said you would put together kind of categories of these. So you came up with one, two, three, four, five I think we talked about one, the sixth one. So, take us through those those six categories. Sure, and these are you know you could
1: probably talk with with ten people, you know, like myself, you know, consultants, you know, industry you know, experts, whatever you want, and they might have slightly different you
0: know, terms. So this is not precise. I'm trusting but- you, Nate. You've got uh, you've got the experience, but I think it's to your point. You these lines blur. There's so much overlap yes. in them, but I think we couldn't have a, a a useful conversation about this unless you d- came up with some categories because all of a sudden it's not just UPS FedEx sometimes DHL and sometimes the postal service now there's an explosion and these are companies that are really on the rise some of them are already there so what's the first big bucket
1: qualified a little bit to to say that I'll I'll focus on the, the US market you know That's hard some hard of enough. these companies yeah <laughs> And so, you know, national integrated carriers is what I would say. UPS and FedEx, I guess, are kind of in, in the, That's the old the group of their own, <laughs> right? And so, they're they're the, the long standing providers, and national and integrated, meaning they have a, of course, a national network of you know, facilities, assets, um, you know, trucks, drivers, but also an end to end, you know, from origin through destination delivery capability, and. They're technically not the only ones. I'll I'll talk about the Postal Service in a minute, but but also they handle a broad range, they being UPS and FedEx, of package sizes and weights. And largely speaking, their service portfolio is comprehensive enough that in many cases, they can at least provide a service, and it's usually a pretty high quality service, to most e-commerce companies as far as
0: delivering their packages. I think these are the ones we all know too. It's funny if you were to ask people who is on that list of e-commerce delivery providers? Everyone go, oh, UPS and FedEx. They know those right off the bat, but I think there's others that they're going to recognize as you start talking about them. Yes. And
1: and just to finish the UPS, FedEx thought too, is they're much, much more than e-commerce you know, delivery providers. And so that's the differentiation I think there between a lot of the other carriers as well. And so there, another group is what I would just consider or say, you know, postal carriers. I'll I'll qualify that a bit. The postal service, U S postal service is the obvious one. They do also, of course, have a national network and it's focused on lighter packages, which a lot, but not all of e-commerce volume is. So they serve the e-commerce market very well, but then there's also other carriers who, who work in in a partnership called postal Workshare. Uh, with the postal service. So a company like you know, Pitney Bowes or DHL e-commerce, there's several others uh, like that as well. And they, those carriers have their own networks. They're smaller in scale, but they're still national usually. And they will pick up packages, have transportation agents pick up packages from customers, move it, sort it through their own network, and then hand it off to the postal service for final mile delivery. And So that's a a different type of model, and it allows for that company, those carriers, to kind of aggregate that volume, uh, move it through their network, and provide it to the postal service really close to that end, you know, final mile delivery. Yep. And I got a question
0: on that. So I talked to the CEO over at uh, DHL, maybe last year, and he was talking about how they are spending a big investment, I forgot what it was, on sortation facilities so that and, and that they would partner just as you described as what you could just call it postal carriers so they're going to go pick up stuff or is how does is, how is this work so they what do they call that first chunk is that the first mile or it's it's
1: the first mile and what I'll say is a carrier like so DHL e-commerce is a, a business unit operating unit of DHL of
0: the, the global. So they might go do business with a large retailer or a large e-commerce company, go pick up all of the shipments from them, take it back to their facility. They call them sortation centers.
1: Mm-hmm. And in a sortation center, uh, I mean, it's I won't say it's the the same, but it's not unlike a I guess smaller, slightly less automated version of FedEx and UPS facilities. So they're they're they are picking up packages, or in, in the case of DHL, I'll say. Pitney Bowes is, is the same, is they also on that first mile, the origin like pickups, they will work with transportation partners. So they do have a network of, of partners. But to the the retailer, you're working with DHL e commerce, is, is the point.
0: Yeah, yeah. They're responsible regardless of what carriers they're using. So they'll,
1: they will pick up, uh, you know, normally from a, a company's distribution center. And so they'll pick up hundreds, thousands of packages. They will bring that back to their sort center, their uh center usually it's near a metro area
0: so they're going to sort it by zip code
1: yeah they they're going to do something similar as to what UPS and FedEx does because they're picking up from presumably dozens at least of customers in that same kind of radius around that sort center bringing it all through their facility to sort to to outbound lanes so now it's going to be sorted to say from Columbus as an example, uh, on a line haul that's going to go to Atlanta that night. So those will be sorted to the Atlanta line haul. It will be, there will be another one that might be, you know, to Dallas. And so they, they do that. They move it through their network. That might require a couple of legs there, a couple of stops, same process until they finally have packages that are, uh, delivered to the postal service, usually at a, actually a local post office. So it's usually that
0: close to to the customer. And that's the most expensive part is from the postal office to the home is usually the most expensive part. So what they're doing is partnering with the post office for that. And I had somebody on from Pitney Bowes before, and they said, what's cool about working with them is if you want to return something, you return it via USPS. So you just put it in your box to return it. And and when you look at e-commerce, not all of it, of course, but I think there's like thirty percent returns. That's I always call it the dirty little secret of e-commerce is it is.
1: And it's not unfortunately it's not so so little anymore. It it really is a from a a dirty big standpoint. secret to yeah, your point. Exactly. From a transportation standpoint, I mean it's definitely a, a, a very large kind of I guess segment of the market because it does vary by the type of industry, but
0: yes, a lot of... It's got to be very heavy on clothes. Uh, it will be a high return rate. You know, we were so anxious to get people to buy clothes via e-commerce. And what people do is they bracket. So you say, I want to get the, that in red, blue, and yellow, and I'm going to try all of them on and send two back. or I'm going to try it in small, medium, and large and send two back and we've, we've kind of trained the consumer that that's okay. It's not okay from a cost perspective, but I think, I think what we'll come back with, though, is we'll come at them from a sustainability perspective and say, hey, Nate, you don't want to do that because it's not good for the environment. It's also not good for my bottom line. Right. <laughs> but we're going right. to have to retrain them. And I think we're also going to – the e-commerce community has to do a better job on helping us figure out the right size and – And uh, help us out to say, what would that look like on me?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough, a tough nut to crack. Virtual, virtual reality (laughs) shifting or even just the, I guess, a little simpler is just shifting the, well, somewhat the The cost, the behavior to then bring that volume down. So, so I definitely don't have the answer to that one, but I can tell you is, is on the the postal carrier side to finish that thought. What you mentioned about picking bows is true. DHL e commerce does something similar. The UPS actually has an a kind of operating unit called Mail Innovations that does a similar thing. And it's the reverse of what I just described of the postal workshare delivery model, where a customer can actually oh, I see return that package and take it to the post office or have their postal uh, carrier uh, pick it up at their house. And then those same carriers, DHL e-commerce, Pitney Bowes, UPS, who are delivering packages to the local post office to be delivered to customers, they can also pick up returns as well, and they will take it back through the network in a similar fashion. It's
0: just kind of the reverse of that. Right. So quick question. Every once in a while, i get something in, the, in my mail, USPS, that came from UPS or FedEx. I don't know mm-hmm. one or the other. So they are also doing some of this, right?
1: Yes, and so as not to completely blur the lines, <laughs> I didn't right, mention yeah. that with UPS and FedEx. I'll, I'll explain it really bri- briefly though. UPS has actually two services that, that operate. Uh, one operates just like I described with, with Pitney Bowes and DHL Commerce, and that's Mail Innovations. It is a separate network. It is only Mail Innovations packages. But UPS also, and FedEx used to do this, UPS also has a product called SurePost and the, the pickup actually is with, you know, UPS drivers just like ground. So usually that volume is mixed with ground packages. They will actually, UPS, through their network, determine as it travels through the network, if it is better from a cost and service perspective to deliver that on their own truck or Tender it to the postal service. And so it uh, provides some flexibility there. And, and it's usually, it's faster sometimes than just the postal work share only. FedEx used to do that and they made the decision. They had a, a SurePost type product, but it was handled uh, externally in a different network it's called SmartPost. And they uh, sunsetted that project or a uh, service a couple of years ago and formally ended it. In early last year. And so they still call it ground economy and it's a bit slower usually than their ground home delivery product, but they used to do the same thing.
0: Yep. So we talked about national integrated carriers, that's FedEx, UPS. We just talked about the postal carriers. And again, those are the kind of the USPS and their partners, which would be Pitney Bowes, DHL, e-commerce. So what's the next bucket of, of carriers out there or providers?
1: Yeah, uh, regional carriers. And so like it sounds like they, they, they cover a specific service area, some large enough to call a region of the United States. And they don't all operate in this way, but some of them operate, I'll say similarly to UPS and FedEx, just on a much, much, much smaller scale, meaning they have multiple sort centers and facilities within a service area. I'll use, uh, on track as an example so they service really the, the western part of the united states and they've got several uh sort centers within that region and they will again have packages that they pick up from retail shippers they will sort them to different lanes the only difference you know, is instead of having maybe 30 outbound lanes fedex or ups They might have six or seven and so if you think about it their their service area is smaller but that allows them to focus on servicing only that area they've got lower overhead because they don't have to have the massive facilities with all the automation and they don't have as much and sometimes it's very little uh, commercial volume so larger oversized packages sometimes or and so they can focus on one area and the way that shippers work with them is, you know, it, it enables either as fast as UPS and FedEx ground or, and cheaper or slightly faster and maybe, you know, similar rates. And so there's value there in being able to use those
0: types of providers. It wouldn't be there otherwise, right? So I, so you had given me a list and it's, you had land there. Lasership on track. LSO, I've never heard of LSO. Who's Lone that? Star Overnight. Oh yeah, so, the Texas guys. Yes. So I was going to ask you about the big Texas company.
1: The acronyms, unfortunately, I see, like we were talking, some of those things I've known for a long time. I just kind of spit it out there, but yeah. And then you had UDS. What is UDS? Uh, United Delivery Systems. I don't know where they at. They focus on, I'll call it just Chicagoland, but also up into you know, Milwaukee and kind of that area. Similar concept, just a smaller footprint.
0: What about? Isn't there a company called? Oh, you, you have, and many, many more. I was just to say, there's a company called Speedy that I ran across. Yes, uh, Midwest. They they cover
1: a fair you know portion of the, the Midwest and Upper Midwest. There's there's a lot of them. There's so that. do
0: they these kind of companies turn down stuff that's outside their region, or do they, or do they have relationships with others? Good question. So it it
1: I guess the answer is some of them do have relationships with others. Not all of them. I guess offer offer a service to say it's outside my service area but I still want you to have a contract with me so I'm just going to to tender it to a partner. Some of them do that and they're they're transparent about it.
0: But if if not then This is a very expensive to get into that business. So it's not By the way, didn't LaserShip just buy somebody? Who did they buy? On track. So the two of the or arguably the two
1: uh, most I guess well established regional carriers are are now part of one company.
0: And what are, what regions? Do they, so now is it considered a super regional or is it just considered still regional?
1: Depends on who you ask, I guess. Uh, and I'm I'm trying to remember Josh Sanin with, with LaserShip had a coined a, a term, and I forget what he was what he was calling it. But if you want to call it super regional, we, we...
0: well w- with LTL we call it regional, and then for the guys who have two or more regions, we call those super regionals. Okay,
1: so the west Western part of the United States on track. And Lasership, really the, the eastern half of the U.S., and extends over into a portion of the Midwest.
0: See, I keep thinking somebody, one of these, somebody's going to knit together all of those regionals to compete. And maybe maybe that's already happening. I mean, Lasership bought On track not so long ago.
1: Well, that could be a step in that direction. But in my opinion, that's a, a very, very, very long, complex process. And so, so in the short term, I, I don't think they're doing that. I could be wrong but at least not anytime soon. But there is some value. And I do know, really not too far from now, around the middle of this year, they're supposed to have some connectivity between those two networks. And it's literally kind of just line halls that going between
0: the two. I would also also say that, you know, given all of these different segments, who knows what what relationships make sense. It really comes down to probably very detailed operational understanding and probably financial understanding. It's not just blabbermouths like me saying, oh, they should all join forces and be great. Right. (laughs) It's incredibly complex from a, you
1: kind of, you know, from an operational standpoint, so integrating another, you know, carrier operation technology is another one. It's also, if you're going to have assets, it can be asset, you know, heavy and and to have all that come together while building or maintaining, however you want to look at it, a very consistent competitive service to your retail customers and ultimately end customers is incredibly difficult, all while making the margin to stay in business. And so I think all those reasons are probably why we haven't seen that attempted at scale. And I don't see it happening anytime soon. That doesn't mean... LaserShip and OnTrack, and that combined company, they can absolutely grow and and kind of transform their service offering and be very incredibly successful. That doesn't mean that they're the next UPS or FedEx.
0: Yep. So what's the next bucket? Next next segment of e-commerce delivery providers. So so this one's a,
1: a bit I don't know kind of nebulous here. So
0: what I would just consider you know e-commerce
1: carriers and it's kind of a, a group of recent market entrants now. Say within the last two years or so. And so a few examples. I'll just explain kind of the operating models a little bit. Uh, but a few examples: Pandion, X Delivery, Air Terra, VHO. Those specifically are a little bit more kind of asset light, or you can almost say non-asset, at least from a transportation standpoint. And and so what they're doing is, you know, it varies a little bit across these these carriers, but they're focused. You highly focused, excuse me, focused on e-commerce. So they're trying to provide, you know, fast service usually, but at a, a lower rate than UPS or FedEx ground is usually a benchmark. And they're doing that through, I'll use, um, X delivery as an example of really providing a service to where they're, they're working with, with partners across all three phases. First mile, which is the, the pickup middle mile, which is either on the ground, line haul, or in the air, and final mile. And so they're actually kind of organizing, orchestrating resources, but to them, to the retail shipper, it's just working with X Delivery. So X Delivery is seen as the carrier. They have sortation centers that are, are smaller, but they're, they're more flexible, agile, and they've got lanes that they go point to point. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a longer distance, usually. Right. Right? So you're reducing touches, handles in the middle, lowering cost. And so they're trying to to do that and provide faster, more predictable delivery over a longer, you know, maybe coast to coast from LA to right. New York. And it's a n- newer, well, it's a new carrier in the market, kind of that point to point or almost a zone skip, zone skipping where you have Aggregated volume going from one point all the way to a major metro area. And then that's not new, but they're trying to do it as efficiently as they can to scale it
0: and then provide that to a a retail. I would suggest that some of these models couldn't exist without the technology, because I think what you're really I've seen this with other interviews I've done recently where people are saying we can move an LTL, which would be, let's just say, a truckload that's going from New York to LA. And let's just say it it, might have been an LTL, right? But I just moved it to LA. And then I said, well, who's going to take it to the final mile? Well, I could have gig economy people do it. And I couldn't have done that without the technology because there might be 40 different customers in that same truck. But the technology's Starts enabling us to to deal with this level of complexity.
1: Yes. And so these carriers, they don't all do it the same way, but they do have technology that they use. A lot of it is on sortation or, or dynamic sortation and and the lanes that they they service. And so being able to even pivot between their service providers, especially final mile, even middle mile, X delivery uses, they work with airlines. They will work with airlines to make sure they've got capacity and optimize that. Others work on the ground, but they optimize the final mile, and and they select that based on the technology they use to determine you know, which carrier you know, is performing the best in that area, has the capacity to deliver whenever it is next day or two days from now. And so, yes, uh, that's a big part of what they're focused on, and some of these companies are. Former Amazon, not that you have to be, but or, or I Walmart. I saw you had
0: the Front Door Collective on that list. Are they different than the others on that list?
1: They are. I would still consider them to be an e-commerce focused carrier, but they uh, they entered the market last year. But their operating model is is very different in that they're really a so a collective of delivery service providers in kind of a similar format to. Amazon, how they have their delivery service providers. Only their, their company is focused on providing a really high quality opportunity for those, lack of a better term, DSPs, to really own and grow their business. Now, how that benefits you know, retail shippers and their customers is that they've got a, a presence in, I don't know if it's all 50 states, but it's pretty close. But it's, so it's not integrated though. So the network, it's not like a UPS or FedEx where they'll pick up and then move it from Columbus to Dallas for the delivery. They might have a facility in Dallas and a network of, of DSPs in that area. And they're highly focused on like just rapid sortation through you know, that facility and next day delivery. They actually may perform a little bit of uh, same day as well, but just high quality, reliable delivery using, you know, delivery service providers as that kind of core
0: asset for delivery. Right. So you called these just e-commerce carriers and maybe your point, a lot of more recent market entries you had written that down. So you had one last category. Well, I think we wanted to talk about one more after this, but the same day delivery. So talk about that.
1: Yeah. And I I won't spend too much time here. Honestly, it's, it's not an area of expertise of mine. I'm not certain that there is an expert in this area necessarily because it's, it's you know, same day delivery technically has been around for a while, but it's, it's becoming more prominent. There's a lot more providers in the space. So largely many of the providers are some of the the gig economy companies, uh, DoorDash, Instacart. Uh, There's plenty of us uh Roadie which is a, a company of UPS. I think you have shipped on there which is owned by Target. Exactly. Walmart Go Local is is Walmart's version I of I think this as Shipt well.
0: calls those guys their uh, people who do the work for them, personal shoppers. And I think I've used Shipt before and they say we have 700,000 personal shoppers. And I was thinking what did, what do you think the market penetration less than 1%? I mean, how many people get groceries delivered? Well, it depends on the, I don't know the, let me just say, I don't know the answer.
1: But I tend to look at this, and this is maybe a, a bit of a narrow focus, but on I guess con, you know, tr- traditional retail or, or something that you know, involves package delivery, Instacart to a lesser extent shipped, but you know, really focus on grocery, and so yes. that I think part of it, if you roll that into e-commerce and same day, would constitute maybe a larger, you know, slightly larger share of it. But just pure, I order something from a a retailer, it's coming to me same day instead of having UPS deliver it to me. Yes, I think that's very, very small. And so, so those carriers, um, they serve a, a niche that is growing. A lot of these orders are delivered, you know, you know, they're ordered and delivered in the same day. Hence the name. And, uh, and they are often delivered from a, a store. So right. as opposed to going <laughs> to the store and shopping or even ordering it and then going to the store to pick it up. It's ordering it
0: online and having it delivered to you, right? And I think um, if you look at some companies like Target, what are they? Some like eighty percent of the stuff if you buy on Target online, you know, Target.com, eighty percent of it's delivered from a store that's close to you. I, I heard that stat. Yeah, so
1: they ago. and and they've they've also shared another one which encompasses everything. I guess they say fulfilled. So ninety five percent is fulfilled, which means also includes then. Ordered and then pick up. Yeah. And so yes, they
0: they've really been they down on that front. It's interesting because I think this this category, and I'll say Instacart, Shipped. I know less about Roadie and DoorDash. One of the challenges I've heard that they're they're they work with retailers, grocery stores, and I understand that grocery stores lose money on a lot of those uh, transactions. And they're also so I bought from Shipped, and I've said this before on my podcast. I wanted to return some something and i said i bought this yesterday and i gave them my customer number which is my phone and they go oh we you weren't here yesterday and i thought oh because shipped picked it up for me and i was thinking i'm not myers customer anymore i'm ship's customer well how long before ship sends me a note saying joe here's 80 dollars off your first purchase of shipped grocery sure and they're all worried that look, I just lost the transaction. And if there's one thing Amazon, we'll get to Amazon in a minute because I've got that question. One thing Amazon's taught us is that we want to own the customer experience, that we want to own the customer data. And I think these companies are going to have to work with the retailers they're serving to make sure the retailers make money and that the retailers feel good about it. Otherwise, I'm already, we're already seeing it. Logistics companies are going to step in and say, we will route this. And there's going to be more dark stores, I think. Where that what I mean by that is a store that you don't go to, but it's a fulfillment grocery store.
1: Yes, Kroger is is doing a lot in that space. Combined with actually having building out because it's, it's not efficient
0: to go through it. If, so if I was buying your groceries, doing your if I was your personal shopper, Nick, it'd be easier to go pick it up at a fulfillment center that maybe Kroger. Runs themselves or has some logistics company run it for them. Go pick it up there as opposed to walking down the aisles with all the other people. Grocery store is not, not an efficient way to fulfill. I
1: want to say, if I'm not mistaken, that Kroger is doing that in Florida without a physical store at all. So yeah, makes not sense. Not just supplementing, but yeah.
0: Nate, I say this all the time. We all like going to like farmer's markets or boutiques and wandering around. That's That's a customer experience. Going to the grocery store usually isn't a customer experience, or if it is a customer experience, not one that you covet. So I keep thinking grocery stores could get like a smaller footprint and become more boutiquey and then have more, maybe even a same location, a dark store that you don't go in that delivers your milk every week and delivers your bread and all the other stuff you buy online.
1: Yeah, it, d- it depends on on the, the grocery, the, the retailer and, and what... I think they already offer in addition to groceries, right? There won't so, be
0: one answer to this.
1: <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, there are, are some that have, well, obviously there's Target and Walmart who that's just a portion of what they do. Walmart, it's a larger portion, but others, if they, if it's more than grocery already and they've got other kind of retail items, then where is that kind of line of kind of taking the route that, that you mentioned? Or trying to make it more experiential, or combining the two, right? Uh, having the experiential part and then efficiently serving a, a fair part of the grocery-only kind of customers, you know, through the dark stores or heavy uh, like. To say.
0: By the way, I'll throw this out there also. If you start looking at, uh, let's just say you go to the grocery store and you say, "Oh, cool! I can buy twenty different kinds of drain cleaner, thirty different kinds of dish soap," they, they're holding that inventory. And I, I kind of look at – I did some shopping at Target because it's by my mom's house. I was shopping for her. And I look at their – what they offer is curated. Their grocery footprint is very small compared to their overall store. But for the most part, when I walked through it, I was like, this seems pretty much all I need. Much smaller footprint. And I can't help but think less inventory, less carrying costs. So that I think there's going to be more than one answer to how – We go shopping in the future. You know, we love our options. Right. Aldi is a good example. Oh, yeah. Fewer SKUs in those stores. Fewer SKUs at Aldi. Fewer SKUs at Trader Joe's. Same with Costco. We love those stores, and they don't have as many SKUs as the traditional grocery store. So um, I want to talk about two other segments and maybe ones. So first off, we talked, to, I asked you about OneRail because you had OneRail on one of your uh, PowerPoints. And I said, where's, where's OneRail? Where do they fit in this? Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, yeah, I would consider you know, OneRail as an example, I guess, of more than just delivery, but of a, an orchestration platform. And, but I focus on delivery. So that, I mean, that's kind of what yeah. I'll, I'll yeah, speak yeah. about is that in in that way and there's some other providers you know similar it's not the same service offering um delivery solutions as one bring they're a little bit different but one of the the benefits from a delivery standpoint is that from an orchestration perspective it is a platform it is a service offering that enables access to a very large you know pool of of service providers and in some cases ultimately drivers that you otherwise as a one to one relationship you know a retailer with another provider wouldn't have and so there there, there is flexibility as a benefit of course in, in some cases you can you know control or or reduce your expense but also if you know like a one rail has a a very strong part of the process in their solution of the qualitative piece of how they measure the delivery reliability of their partners and how that's incorporated, that also then enables some influence and control over that. And um, it's an er- interesting concept to be able to to do that and influence the experience while having access to a far greater you know amount of resources. But that's part of the service offering, and it's
0: uh, it's needed. I think if I could add something to that, and this is what I like about one, what OneRail is doing is they're using the gig economy, but they're bringing kind of the operational control that I would want if I was one of their customers. Cause what we're all looking for is for our, you know, when we make promises from our brand, we are looking for consistent reliability, right? We're looking for a consistent experience, consistently good experience. And. The challenge sometimes with the gig economy, if you don't really do a good job of vetting and managing, is that they aren't going to necessarily bring that. And so I love that. So I I joke about it sometimes, but I think we need companies like OneRail to bring order to the chaos of gig economy. And by the way, I'm not ripping on the gig economy. I think it's a fantastic development. It's just use it for the value it brings and supplement it with the customer success teams and the technology that they have. So I love that. Would you call it orchestration platform?
1: Orchestration platform is, is probably the yeah, I like it. One of the best terms I think.
0: So one other category we didn't talk about this one, and God knows we have to. Where does Amazon fit? Are they are their own category? Technically, I, I guess they are. It's interesting because they they deliver
1: a a ton of packages of now a lot of them are their own, or at least through their own, you know, fulfilled orders through, you know, fulfillment by Amazon and their own, you know, their own inventory. But, you know, it's between five and six billion packages last year. And I'm not sure exactly where, where the number landed. That's not small if, if we're talking about, you know, 22, 23 billion in the entire market. Right. And so they're their own category. Exactly. And, <laughs> and it's been pretty well documented and covered that, 2020 and and 2021, a lot of it's usually been focused on fulfillment, but they've basically doubled their fulfillment capacity in the last two years total. And along with that has come additional delivery capacity. And now very recently, then when they've reported earnings, they've overbuilt their network. Now, I don't think that was an accident necessarily, but they've got fulfillment capacity that they need to better utilize. So they play a role in the market now primarily their own volume but they've also just made an announcement not too long ago of offering um buy with prime so it's essentially prime benefits from a delivery fulfillment standpoint to outside merchants so we'll see how much adoption that gets but that's where they might be headed as a third party carrier
0: yeah and and i think they're also opening retail locations um and i think those will be used for, you know, So I think Wall Street Journal had called it the department stores. I think that's a ins- little insulting to what Amazon's done. They're, you know, it's going to be a unique and really cool store. That's just what they do. But I know part of it's got to be related to return strategy. I wouldn't be surprised if some is related to their private label stuff that they're increasingly selling. And who knows, it could be somewhat uh, associated with their e-commerce.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's been... um I mean I guess speculation might not be the right word but the the question posed for a long time at what point would Amazon you know offer delivery services to third party retailers beyond just kind of the smaller merchants that they have within their fulfillment network or and so now would be the time I mean I guess because they've got you know fulfillment capacity to me I'll just say that I don't think that that's a a huge like market entrance to where they're all of a sudden you know delivering 3 billion packages next year for other companies. I think it takes time because the whole question is well when will they at scale compete with UPS and FedEx. So I think it takes time to do that. If that's what they want to do, I'm sure they will. I mean, I don't think there's too much that that they set out to do that that they're deterred. So we'll just see how long it takes.
0: Well, I'll tell you, <laughs> Nate, you've given a fantastic overview of this very complex <laughs> industry. So I'm going to just summarize, and I'm going to get your final thoughts on this. So we, we talked about seven different bucket segments. So the first is the 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 old guard, National Integrated Carriers, UPS and FedEx. Postal Carriers is the second big bucket, which is UPS and all their partners like Pitney Bowes, D, uh, DHL e commerce. And then the regional carriers, which are similar to UPS and FedEx, it's just they don't cover the whole country, and that would be Lasership, Laser OnTrack, Lone Star. Then this new bucket, the e-commerce carriers, that's uh, Front Door co- Collective is you put in there, but uh, you know they have assets. But then there's some others without assets like VHO, Air Terra, Pandion. And then you talk about same-day delivery, which is in the wild, wild west, that's uh Largely the gig economy, shipped, Instacart, DoorDash, et cetera. We talked about OneRail and a few bring being in that kind of the, what do you call it, orchestration platforms. And then last but not least, we'll call Amazon its own bucket for this conversation. Right, right. And again, I think you said it to start and I'll, I'll put the caveat. This is so difficult that there's so much overlap and so much blurring of the lines that it's really. I mean, I, I appreciate you putting in these buckets and saying you sent me a nice email here. Otherwise, it's really hard to talk about what's going on if you don't put it in some sort of rough order.
1: <laughs> it is. I mean, I've. I guess I've been I'm doing this or in the, the the parcel space for 15 years, and it hasn't been nearly as complex as, and things you know change really, really rapidly, which is good. I mean for, for me at least it keeps things uh, a lot of new things going on, a lot of innovation. and then you know you need, I think from a, a retailer standpoint to just take a step back and look at really what your delivery needs are, what your e-commerce shipping strategy is, and then determine the types of, of solutions you want to explore and pursue and figure out which individual carriers to, to partner with. So yes, it's pretty complex.
0: Yep. And we'll switch gears for and talk a little bit about what you're doing over at LPF, which is Level Playing Field Spend Management. I'll tell you, and I'm not saying this just to be a salesman for uh, LPF here, but I get why people bring you on. Because what we just described is really difficult to kind of put your arms around. And you mentioned you've been doing this for a long time. I imagine there's been more change in the last... 3 years or maybe 2 years since covid then we saw probably in the last 20 years before that.
1: Yes, that very well stated and and I agree with that and it the complexity also has even been with the providers that have been in place for a long time UPS and FedEx. Right. They've made it infinitely more complex from a pricing standpoint to understand rates, contracts, and then how a a retailer's volume might impact their spend with one of those carriers. And so that's, you know, part of it, I'll say, is the rates and contracts. The other is the operational piece. Those two things together, that's what I work frequently with clients on. And it's it's a process where they go through and explore, discover, assess what their current program looks like. So which carriers are they using? What is their speed right. to customer goals? Are they being met? And you know, are you, you hitting your your budget goals on, on expense? Usually no, you're exceeding them, so that's that's a challenge. That's and why so they I, called you. I, it, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> and so so I work with clients in that way to assess not just the cost, but the qualitative piece as well, as far as the transit times, the service, and help to design a solution with them that you know achieves those objectives sometimes it does involve expense reduction it involves uh, contracts that the terms are better suited to their business and or carriers and services that better align with their
0: customer facing shipping strategy right I'm assuming you start with an assessment and tell them where they're at, because I, this is my first thought is, if you haven't looked at this in the last two years, and I understand why people wouldn't, because we've been in a crazy time, if you haven't looked at it in the last two years, there's a good chance that you're not necessarily using the very best carrier for your product. Yes. And so there has been a lot that's changed. And so
1: to your point, I, I won't go through all the details, but I, I start with you know, a little bit of what I, de- I describe as an assessment. Uh, Sometimes it's really detailed, sometimes there's a client who has a good understanding, but they just need more specific guidance and that's where we start. And then after that, once that assessment's done and and we've determined here are the objectives, this is what we're going to go after. Then from there on, a lot of the heavy lifting, some of the the, dirty work, some of the things that a lot of people don't like to do, um, that's what I'm doing. And so I am performing all the analysis and advising on the the carrier you know, rates and, and contracts that are that are proposed, and advising pro- providing options with recommendations on what solutions to, to to choose.
0: What I like about services like yours is that it is um, solution agnostic. So you don't care. You know, you just say, "Well, I'm looking for the best solution. I don't care. Nobody's paying me. You're, I'm not getting paid by one of the providers." So, and that you're always open to the next thing, which is obvious by the fire by conversation, right? you're trying to keep your to eye on one. what's going on. So Nate, who's your sweet spot? Who do you work with?
1: You know, most often it's package shippers that are what I would consider to be on the, the smaller side, at least based on my prior retail experience, because right. I worked with, for large companies. So companies that, that ship anywhere from... Maybe 200,000 packages up to three, four, five million packages a year.
0: That sounds like a lot to me. Mate. Well, <laughs> right. I mean,
1: I, I worked for, I didn't you know, talk about like the rest of Abercrombie and Fitch. Uh, I worked for Gap. So, so those companies ship tens of millions yeah. of packages, if not more than that. But the companies I work with, it's, it's in that range of, of package volume, spend, package spend might be anywhere from three, four million up to 20, 30 million. And, That's the the type of of company. Also if they're an e commerce company, that's something that I've got experience in as well. Working with them, that's where I'm most efficient. I can really design, I think, specific solutions for those types of clients. And we can get through that process. It's not it's never fast. I don't care who's doing it, but relatively efficiently to get to that result within, you know, say uh two, three months. And then also I I started to actually and working with some larger enterprise retailers as well, just in a little bit of a different capacity. So instead of doing all the heavy lifting, they have a team or they have another resource doing that. I'm more advising on the strategy and the the roadmap of of what solutions they need to be looking at.
0: Excellent. Excellent. So Nate, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile link to your website. And thank you so much. This is, this is, a topic I've wanted to do for a long time, and again, it's and there's not very many people who have your knowledge of all these customers or provider segments. It's so important to the today's economy, and again, I think we have a lot of people who uh, are using this, but how to pick the right one? It it, it really it, it has gotten at too complex, too complicated in my mind to do it yourself. This is why we have specialists in this business, because it is, it's just, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. It's a lot. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Nate, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you, Joe. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.